0: Hello, welcome to You're a Financial Planner, Now What? I'm your host, Charlie Moore.
1: How'd that feel?
0: It felt good, actually. And if I may, I'm here with Hannah Moore, a certified financial planner and the owner of Guiding Wealth Management. Welcome to your own show, Hannah.
1: It's great to be here.
0: I know, it's a bit silly, but I will be interviewing you and her a little bit for today's episode.
1: No, maybe I should be the one introducing
0: you. Okay, well, the truth is, Hannah, this isn't my first episode. I know you don't listen to the episodes once I edit them and put them online, but I've already appeared in your show. Crap. (laughs) Don't worry, it was tasteful. But on that topic, maybe we should get on with the episode.
1: Yes, I'm slowly learning that shorter and concise is
0: better. Shorter is better, but hey, I'm very proud of you for trying. Let's do the interview. First off, I'd love to welcome you, Hannah, to your Financial Planner, Now What?
1: Thanks, Charlie. I'm excited to be our first guest here in 2017.
0: All right, let's start with Tuesday. Congratulations on your NPR piece. That was a blast to hear.
1: Thank you. It was unexpected and kind of came out of the blue. All
0: right, so we're going to have to do a show later about getting in front of the media. We've got some people we can interview, but.
1: Who are way better at it than I am.
0: Yes, that's true. I know that NPR here in Dallas is worlds apart from where you grew up. You're from, and I think it's technically a village in South Dakota. I know you're laughing. I can relate. I grew up in rural Texas. So. This is where my question comes from. How has your roots played a role in your pursuits in this profession?
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting because I grew up in small town, South Dakota. We were a big town for South Dakota, 25,000, third largest in the state, Um, but it, does feel like it's a different world like where I live now the clients that I have are very different than like my family and like the people that I knew growing up and so sometimes I feel kind of like I'm torn but what's really cool and I think what you're kind of hinting at with this question is there's so much similarities I think one of the things that my background really gave me the perspective of is how like what is it that makes us human if you would of how we relate to money so i one of my first meetings i ever sat in uh when i was an intern this couple made like their eating out budget was greater than like my first year salary Where he has a cfp you know professional job like that's just completely foreign to what i grew up in but the questions that they were asking and like the same feeling of like what like their concerns and like like what they wanted to do with their life was really similar to what I had grown up with and the people that I was close with. So I think I've been able to kind of bridge some gaps. I guess maybe even socioeconomic gaps of like what is what do people like really desire about their money? And I think that's helped me make make me a better planner.
0: So you talked about your background. We don't have that far to go back to college. I Thankfully. remember. I remember <laughs> when you were in college, you worked with Jimmy Doral at Mission Waco, and at that time. You were gonna go into nonprofit somehow, management, or doing their books. Is that right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to be the numbers person who was, um, who could kind of bridge that gap because I love social workers, but they are just not good at the numbers. And and so I spent a lot of my time work, like kind of filling that gap. in, if you would, um, and learned a ton while I was there, but really realized that like the real core of who I was wanted to help people. And when I realized that nonprofit management wasn't what I wanted to do, financial planning became a really natural fit and it kind of fell into my lap.
0: Let me jump into that. You stumbled into it, right? You met Dr. Potts and Mr. Fletcher. That completely changed the course of your life. And it was your next to last semester?
1: Yes, I had taken an intro to personal financial planning, personal finance um, as just an elective in school, because it just always was something that was interesting to me. And I never, I never even knew that there was a career for that. I just assumed that at some church I, would you know, do their Dave Ramsey program or their, you know, crown ministry. I, I never even thought, um, that could be a career. And I took the class and the best way to describe it is it's how my brain works. It's how I'm wired. And so, you know, the teacher, you know, how, with, all the material, you know, I excelled on the tests and and the professor ended up pulling me aside and said, you really need to consider making this your major. And I had never never crossed my mind. Who and, was that? Uh, Mr. Fletcher.
0: It was Mr. Fletcher. Thank mm-hmm. you, Mr. Fletcher.
1: Right, thanks, Mr. Fletcher. <laughs> uh, but it never even crossed my mind to do that as a career. And then all of a sudden, it was like, like, in that moment, I was like, of course I'm gonna change my major. It was just so, that's what I'm supposed to do. And the irony is the next day I was supposed to sign up for my last semester of classes. And if I wouldn't have done it literally that day and made that decision, I wouldn't have been able to do that before graduating, which I did.
0: You did. You (laughs) did. It added some time, but you graduated. And afterwards, you moved up here to DFW. I remember that summer of your internship.
1: Yep. So I had to go back for my fall semester, so a partial victory lab, as they would like to call it. Right. Um.
0: But you you did that. You did the internship, you finished, you moved to Dallas, you got a job as a financial planner, and you began, at that point, working on studying for your CFP. Yes. So my question is, what was the hardest part about transitioning from university to the profession as a CFP?
1: So this might be kind of a strange answer, but like growing up, we didn't really... i didn't know any professionals and so it's a different mindset from being an hourly worker to being a salary worker and i think that was probably my hardest shift because with an hourly worker like there, there's just something really nice about going into your job working eight hours doing all the tasks that you're supposed to do and then leaving and you to leave everything behind and when you're a professional like it's not always that cut and dry um you're given problems and you don't have like a manual you can go look at or, you know, just these defined parameters. It's like, you got to solve the problem. Like you're a professional, like the buck stops at me. And that was, that was an interesting shift. I mean, I obviously transitioned well into that, but it, it was a mind shift shift that I wasn't expecting. Versus okay. just being a hard worker, like so, like before the my, my mindset was always, you know, you need, like if you want more money, you got to work harder, you got to work longer, and all those things. But being a professional, I could really kind of shift my mindset into how can I work smarter, like how can I gain more knowledge, and kind of exploit that versus mm-hmm. just working time and
0: money in an hourly rate. When you were hired for that job here in Dallas, you were hired with the intention, even if it wasn't on paper. Yeah, you know immediately but the intention was that you would be the succession plan mm-hmm. what was it like to carry that mantle as a young planner and knowing you were ultimately going to be buying a practice from someone who had poured their life into it
1: yeah i think when i look back at my 22 year old self there was a lot that i didn't know um and i was naive about some things <laughs> i think it's fair to say uh but yeah i was from day one from the interview it was, I'm looking for somebody to do my succession plan. Are you interested? And of course, I'm like,
0: yes. Why not? Why not?
1: I mean, that sounds interesting, right? <laughs> like, uh, I look left and I'm like, what's a succession plan? So it was kind of a interesting, interesting thing to be thrown into. But there's almost like a burden to bear with that. So I didn't really know what I was getting into. Um, I think one way, obviously, as a 22-year-old, never having worked... I mean, I did an internship, but I was very unprepared to be a succession plan. You did scanning at that point. Yes, I had done a lot of scanning, <laughs> scanned mostly my entire internship, um, which, as we've talked about a bit on other episodes, it's you, you, you make.
0: You make out of it. You yeah, get out of it what you exactly. What you put into.
1: you yeah. get you get out of it what you put into it, and I and I got a lot out of that um but i felt very unprepared to do this because like the work we do as financial planners is significant to people's lives i'm like why would somebody trust me with their money and like their like retirement and like their life not their livelihood but in a sense they've spent
0: their life hopefully putting this together
1: yes and it's like And they're supposed to trust me. And like, granted, there was still, I had years before I actually bought the practice. Um, But there was that sense of, there's just a weightiness to that. So almost even just that overwhelmed feeling of how much I had to learn. Um, Because I had a strong sense of like, oh my gosh, I mean, when you start out, you're learning paperwork. You're learning like how to set up an IRA account at Pershing. I mean, those are very foundation foundation blocks that you need in order to do something bigger like a succession plan.
0: The fundamentals.
1: Yeah, very fundamental. Yeah. So it was also really hard um, because very very few people could relate to it. Um, so you're you know you kind of put in this spot and. I would almost say it was lonely. Um, it's, I know that sounds a little pathetic to say. Um, but I would go to networking events and all my peers, I mean, their job was just a job and I totally respect that and think that's absolutely appropriate. Um, but I'm looking at buying this practice and really like integrating myself into this. And, and then it was like, I had this really deep passion for financial planning. And so there, it went back to this, like I, I felt a lot like I was the odd duck, if you would, um, and and I think that a lot of other people have like a deep passion for financial planning, but it's different when you're approaching it right away as like I'm going to be the owner versus I'm just pulling a paycheck, and that mindset is very different. And I very, very early on took on the ownership mindset, that ownership perspective, versus just, a you know an eight to five job, right. Um, It was a huge learning curve. I don't think people talk about that enough. So there's a huge learning curve at a couple fronts. One was on becoming a financial planner and how how do I excel at the craft? Like how do I be this craftsman at what what I do and how I relate to clients and how the investment side and, and everything else that goes into financial planning but then you also have to learn about what it means to be a business owner. And that's a whole nother craft and a whole nother art. And so I felt like the first couple of years, I really, I was always aware of the business side, but I really focused on like those foundational elements. Um, and then I was able to focus more on the business owner side of
0: it. So I watched you over those years and, and you talk about like having to to mm-hmm. learn a lot, you know, feeling feeling like the, uh, is it the ugly duckling? <laughs> i wouldn't say
1: that was my husband calling me ugly
0: (laughs) okay i'll we can backtrack from that so over those years over the years when i watched you you know you had a lot to learn you also had to like you had to take on a lot and in that you had to grow it was fast right and so i mean what was that like were there growing pains how how did that feel what did you go through and, and what helped
1: yeah, definitely growing pains. Um, I was talking to somebody once, um, that she was an attorney and she had a somewhat similar situation. And one of the things that she said to me was because I started out knowing that I was going to be a succession plan right away. She's like, that's a very unnatural thing to happen. So she said like, you know, normally like you get to build your networks out and you get to grow up with your network. I like I, I am growing up with my network. We just start different age groups, <laughs> age demographics. Um, so a lot of like the natural pro- professional progression wasn't there for me, um, but it was still very good. I don't wanna sound like I'm whining about that or anything, but I knew that right away that I had a really short runway to get up to speed. And so I poured a lot into my career right away. So I, and this was before the Michael Kitzes, <laughs> you know, that all of the information that was out there, I literally read every single thing I could get my hands on. It, I just consumed as much, I consumed as much knowledge as I possibly could. I mean, I was, that's what I do in my evenings. I mean, I I know that's a little lame, but I was like, I knew, I knew every financial planning software. I knew what the pros and cons were. I like, I knew all of the options that were out there. People at the broker dealer where I would at was at they would actually come to me like they'd be like hey like we need you know we needed to do this or that and like what would you recommend like I became known as a person who would be able to show people like the right place to go
0: you were the youngest person there you had no peers everyone else was like
1: 40 years older than me
0: right and they're coming to you with asking for advice that's awesome
1: like 40 years and up so Yeah, for sure. So people were coming to me and and a lot of it was people, I mean, technology obviously is one, but even just interesting ideas, like we'd be sitting around, we'd be, you know, sitting around and and people would say something and be like, oh, well, I heard of like this interesting planning strategy or this, and this would apply to it. And that, I think that's become, that was one of my greatest assets, if you would, at that time. And what helped me network with people who are a lot older than me.
0: So just being open to and absorbing information was mm-hmm. definitely definitely made you an asset. It gave you assets. It made you better. But it also helps you be an asset for other people.
1: Exactly. Well, and I think that's like such a core skill of what it is to be a financial planner. Like we absorb so much information so that somebody can tell us their specific situation and I can like I can take all of this knowledge that's in my head and disseminate it into like what's most important that the person needs in front of me. So I think I took those financial planning skills and just applied it professionally versus with a client, if that makes sense. Yeah.
0: This is all really good advice for anyone new to the profession. Mm -hmm. But what are some of the things that you learned, you know, on your own that are more specific to being that succession plan to taking over a practice?
1: When you become the succession plan, I mean, the you are the decision maker at that point i mean you're the owner all everything stops at you so in order to make wise decisions you have to know your stuff inside and out so that goes from understanding the paperwork and the processes that your assistant's doing to how you're interacting with clients to the latest planning strategies Um, you have to know your stuff because decisions are not it's never just when you make a decision, even within the context of a succession plan, you're never just making an investment decision. I mean, you're making a business decision that affects a lot of different things. I mean, you, you're talking processes, your, your assistance, your clients' experience, and you have to know how everything interacts in order to be successful. Um, and kind of with that is you have to watch out for yourself Um, because others aren't going to be watching out for you as I don't, I know that sounds a little bit harsh (laughs) to say.
0: There's no leadership bailouts,
1: right? There's, there's nothing like that. You don't get, you don't get a second chance oftentimes at succession plans (laughs) or really a lot of things. Um, but one of the things I I hear, especially in financial planning circles, because there's this sense of this like altruistic sense about what we do with our clients so therefore we want that to like apply to our employees so i often hear the term and like people talk about like family um even when i was at the burger dealer i would hear people say all the time like oh we're a family we're always going to take care of you it's like no like families (laughs) families never speak to each other again families take advantage of each other because they can because they're family and it's like it's one of those things like when you hear people say like I like you should respect me well maybe you should give me reasons to respect you so you don't have to say that you should respect me so I think feel like that's very similar with like an appropriate employee employer relationships um so but that goes to this I it's the same thing like if If you're an employer and you want your employees to feel like family, don't say that we want to feel like a family. Do the things that should make them say that. Like your employees are the ones that we should be saying that it feels like a family, not you. It should be from the bottom up.
0: The employer shouldn't have to say it.
1: Yes, it's it's one of my pet peeves. (laughs) If you can't tell, it makes me really mad. I hear it, and I just I I hear it at conferences, and I hear like really established people say it, and I just like the hairs in the back of my neck stand up. I just I just don't do that. Um, but a lot of times like kind of feeding off all of this, like the devil's in the details. Um, so if you get, if you, you talk about the terms of your contract and going through the contract, you're reading it and it's not exactly how you wanted it to be done. Like that's on you to say like it, this needs to be changed. And that's goes to part of being a professional. Like if you're not able, or you don't feel comfortable, or you're not raising those red flags, then you're not ready to be a business owner. And I don't think people take that serious enough. Uh, when I talk, when I when I just in conversations with people, like you're you're the one in charge. If you can't have those conversations, you're not ready.
0: Right before you sign and put ink to paper, you're already making decisions for the business that you're hopefully going to be buying.
1: Yeah. And like let's not kid ourselves, it's terrifying. Like you know, being a 20, I was 26 when I bought the business. So I'm having these conversations at 24, 25. And like this, it's an intimidating experience, not intimidating, but there's a point where you have to stand up for yourself. And that's not comfortable all the time. But nobody else is going to be the one standing up for you. So you have to do it. Um and, and that's again I talked a little bit about what it means to be a professional and I think that plays into it as well. Like I'm a professional, like th- that's what I do. Um another thing that really helped me with succession plans. Um it's changed. the landscape is changing uh, from when I started. There's a lot more information out there, there's a lot more um groups that are talking and you can kind of engage online, but you have to talk to as many people as you possibly can. Um, each succession plan is unique, like it. Just like we talk about with our clients, like each financial plan is unique, each succession plan is unique. I pulled from quite a few different people where I would just grab them, and quite honestly, there were more people who I talked to about succession planning where it didn't work than it actually did work. And I think that's a really important point. Um, and you actually have to talk to people. I know that there's a lot of articles people write and blogs that are out there about like, here's how to make a great succession plan, and here's what I did. But when you actually like talk to them one-on-one, like they'll tell you the stuff that they couldn't publish in the magazine and things like that. And almost everybody I've talked to, there's always a deeper story there. And like, that's where you really need to get if you really wanna be a succession plan because you really have to like dig in deep to those stories to really understand what worked well and what didn't work. Because otherwise you're just gonna be running into the trap that so many people have have already done there's opportunity cost associated with succession plans that I don't think people factor into it. Um, I, yeah, I hear a lot of young advisors. I, shoot. I was right there. Uh, where you get told that, you know, I'm going to retire in five years, retire in five years and 10 years later, it's still, I'm going to retire in five years.
0: Like carrot keeps moving.
1: Yeah, exactly. The carrot keeps moving and that's fine if you're getting compensated. So like if you're getting paid well, Like if you're getting paid competitively, well, you decide
0: if, you know, for you, if it's, if it's good enough.
1: Exactly. There's far too many people that I know. I mean, I, who take a pay cut Mm -hmm. to, with a promise that one day there'll be the succession plan. But again, this goes back to like, you have to watch out for yourself. Like like you have to hold people's, not their feet to the fire, because I'm not saying that they have to give up ownership because that's a huge hurdle to get over. But don't give, like, don't shortchange yourself. If
0: you're already letting people take advantage of you. Exactly.
1: And if you're letting somebody take advantage of you, like that's on you. Like there were times where I was taken advantage of and like, that's on me. Like, yes, I can critique employers, but, and, and there's some of that's fair, but the buck, like, again, I'm responsible. I'm a professional. It's my job. Your succession plan needs to be part of like a bigger story. And I don't think people talk about that. It needs to be part of this bigger narrative of your career. A lot of people, so I had a number of lines that really irritated me when I was doing a succession plan. One was, everybody assumed that everything was perfect. Um, and that's always far from the truth. But I had somebody tell me, like, you know, you're getting a career handed to you on a silver platter. Like, You have no room to negotiate. Just take whatever they give you. And it's like, yeah, that's not...
0: <laughs> Folks at home can't, can't see you. <laughs> that's probably good. <laughs>
1: Um, but it's it, 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 that the comment of you're hanging, you're getting your career handed to you on a silver platter. It's like no, like this is my career. This is just one piece Mm -hmm. of many pieces that's going to be part of my career. Like if I don't bring a vision into a succession plan of what I want this firm to be and like this bigger narrative of everything, then it's like, it's just going to stall out and die. It's just, you're going to be an uninspired business owner that's just trying to man a ship, like man an airplane as it kind of crashes. I mean, that's, that's not who I want to be, but you have to have that bigger vision.
0: Okay, speaking of vision, moment of honesty here, right? So using social media, giving quotes to the press, even your client newsletters, they were paying for you when you're in the BD world, right? So if you had stayed there, we wouldn't be able to do this podcast, right?
1: (laughs) Highly unlikely, but I can't speak for them, but highly unlikely.
0: Because now you're you're your own compliance officer, you're on your own. Yeah, absolutely. So when you left the broker dealer, You also left a lot of clients behind. Mm -hmm. You know, I guess that was part of your vision. Why did you make that move? Was it for Facebook?
1: (laughs) I just love Facebook so much. I I think it was time. Um, I, again, I knew, talk about that vision. Like I knew where I wanted to be. Um, there were, so Patrick Darty, he's one of my mentors. He did the year of financial planning. Now what seminar, um, before I took it over, he was kind of my person where I like, he was who I wanted to be. Like he, his firm was, his practice was like, I saw what he, I saw how he worked with clients. I saw like his, the lifestyle he has. And I saw um, his work hours like how, like just how he approached everything. I was like, that's who I want to be. So I hung around him. I went to all of the year financial planner now was. I did met with him one-on-one uh, for mentoring and like I knew where I was going. And so at the broker dealer, there was just a lot of stuff going on and it just became very evident that it was time, that it was time to leave. Um, this, was, this was
0: when you registered for the approved by domain?
1: Well, you're not supposed to tell anybody about that. <laughs> I created a satire campaign or a satire uh, URL. I still own it. It you just do. got renewed. Uh, but I had...
0: Sorry. You haven't done anything with it. I have ask... it.
1: But I was getting so frustrated back at my broker dealer with all of the things that I was told that I couldn't do. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to sh- like channel all of this into a satire account that other financial planners will appreciate. <laughs>
0: you would tell me at home, you would get home and you're like, you wouldn't believe how long I was on the phone... With, you know, somebody from corporate and you had to tell them what was in their own manual for compliance.
1: Yeah, it it was very frustrating. There were definitely some uh, interpretation differences. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I don't think I've ever told anybody about that. Thanks, honey.
0: (laughs) If you want to stop and re-record part of that.
1: You're fine. But talking about the clients that I left behind, one of the things, again, I say this all the time, and you guys have probably heard it on the podcast already, is you gotta make the most of what you have right now. And even if you're working at a firm and you feel like you're at a dead end job and you're not going anywhere, there's so much value that you can be getting right there from how are you, like what are the clients that you engage best with? Like what are the clients that like, what you say like deeply resonates in them and that you just have a better relationship with them than anybody else. Um, So the great thing is, you know, I have between two and 300 clients, um, it varied a little bit. I bought practices, whatever. Um, but the great thing about having that many clients and working with that many people is I was able to say, like, here is exactly who I work best with. Like, and it wasn't just here's who I want to work with. It's here's who right now works best with me, and I work best with them. And so when I left, I was able to send my. I I was very small number, well, a lot less than two to three hundred clients where I was able to send a letter out to them. And I, I use that line in there. I was like, I know who I work well with, and I believe that it's you. And like, I want you to join me at this new firm. And, and it was just a whole different perspective. It's a whole mind shift change. So a lot of the times with the broker dealer, it was like, the more numbers you have, the better you are. So the more clients you have, the more assets under management you have, the more all of that was valid. Like that was the prestige in it. And it was very much the quantity over the quality. And I wanted to shift to the quality over the quantity. And I did, like, if you look at my practice numbers, I mean, it just flipped, um, which is, I'm, you can probably test this. I'm a much happier person now than I was there. Um, but I realized that that, that life wasn't sustainable and it wasn't who I was. Um, like just like, to the core of who i am like i'm not i'm not a person to have two or three hundred clients like that's just not me um i want those deeper relationships with clients and so i was able to achieve that so i guess um
0: that's that's closer to the practice that patrick had right yeah is less less is more you know the lifestyle that you choose all those yeah. things are more important than hating your job and you know having to be like a financial planner factory you know yeah. helping a lot of people
1: Well, and a lot of the work I was doing wasn't even financial planning work. Okay, like I, one of the things I joke about, I had a phone call one time, and this client who I very, very rarely ever talked to, I would say they're more of a customer. Uh, they they called me and they were like, "So should I buy Coca-Cola or Pepsi stock?" I'm like, "Well, I don't know. Like, I know nothing about you other than like the eight questions that are like in my CRM that you've answered about your net worth, your income, and like these, couple things." And it was just things like that where I'm like, I can't, in good conscience, give a recommendation to that. And it wasn't just that; there were a lot of other examples like that where I'm like, I'm like, yes, I have the Morningstar like reports, and I have my S and P reports, and and all you of the. You can look at a chart. Yes, I can look at a chart, and I can say like, based on this information, but I'm like my conviction was that that information wasn't enough to give a good recommendation because my the information that I really needed wasn't from the client side of it. And if a client wasn't willing to give me that information, like as a professional, like how can I, I can't answer that question. It, you know, you talk about being a CFP and then being a fiduciary. I mean, there's, there's some tension there. And so, yeah, that's, Thank God for Patrick. We'll have him <laughs> on the episode later. You guys are going to love him.
0: So he'll be back <laughs> on You're a Financial point. You know what? <laughs>
1: he will. There His, you go. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, he used to lead the meetups with Trudy. So here's the next question for you. Why take over all this mess, which is great. <laughs> this mess. <laughs> it's great. Everything's great. So why take over and why are you doing this podcast?
1: I think the most... Simple answer I can give is because I like desperately needed this when I started out. When you were young. When I was young, yeah, yeah. So now you're not young starting... Oh gosh. We
0: can re- let's rewind. Oh god.
1: You called me ugly. You called me <laughs> old. <laughs> um, but I think it, at, you, we talked a little bit about how overwhelming it was. Like, I think that that's probably the best word was just overwhelmed, because. And then everybody, like financial services has such a long way to go to really become, I think there are professional elements in the financial services industry, but the financial services industry as a whole has a long ways to go for the entire group to be professional. So I was getting told so many things by so many people and it was so overwhelming. And the year of financial planner, now what, was really a place for me to hear from people and just hear like what really is financial planning like this like pure like this is financial planning and like this is why it's so amazing and like like it just it it created that thing that I could aspire to be um and it was I I attribute it as one of the most like it was one of the things that impacted my career the most and so I I, I see that and like, it kind of makes me mad that there's not more resources like this out there for young people. And I don't know if it's a personality flaw or not, but I see something that's not going right or, like, I think is wrong and nobody's doing it. I'm like, well, dang it, if nobody else is going to do it. And, like, I'm already raising a stink trying to get people to do something like this, and I'm just going to do it. So it started out just the in-person meetings, and you, Charlie, <laughs> you were – we were just talking, and your background is all the media – background communications and it's just like well why don't we just upload this into a podcast like why don't we just take the five meetings a year and mic you guys up and I'll just I'll take off work I'll record them and we'll just throw them on the internet and see if anything takes off and then I was like well wait a minute like I know a lot of really cool interesting people like this could be an opportunity selfishly for me to get an hour of their time just to pick their brain and ask questions and I can record it and share it so that's kind of how it
0: started this problem with, with having a visionary mindset, maybe you're having, yeah. having those things, is it's you end okay. up doing stuff. <laughs> you end up having to do an episode.
1: I know. It's, it's. I'm definitely classified in the Myers-Briggs, the visionary is definitely my personality type. And so you can, you can just see things. You can just see how important things are and like what could happen. And when like it's not happening, you're like, are you kidding me? This is so amazing. Like somebody has to do this. And, But finishing a a project
0: is much harder than... Yeah, that's what you're for.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, but yeah, it's, I care very, very deeply about financial planning. Like, I feel like it's very much like, I, I would even go so far as to say like a calling in life. And so also from the perspective of like, if financial planning... Like I think financial planning changes lives. Like I absolutely 100% believe that. And it's like, if we're going to become this profession, like the young people, like, like we're the people that have the energy, like we bring so much value. And I was seeing so many of my friends. I have more, I had more friends leave than actually stayed in. And it was just like, who's out there helping them? Like nobody was having these conversations. And so I care so deeply about financial planning, about this profession. And it's like, like, this is just one way that I can get back and hopefully help the profession by helping young people okay, like so myself. Cause I'm still, I'm still young.
0: <laughs> you are still young <laughs> and beautiful. So I know That's you, right. <laughs> I know you probably wouldn't go back in time and, and tell a younger you to do anything different about, you know, you wouldn't change your story about how you ended up here. But if you could talk to younger you or, You know, people. Then, what would what would be your advice to to them?
1: I think some of this. Obviously, that question assumes knowing what I know now, and I'm in obviously at a very different place than when I was started, or even when I took over the practice. That was so incredibly stressful, Um, like high, high, high intense stress. Um, But the one, probably my, the trait that helps me the most was I was very curious. So somebody would say something, I'm like, I don't get that. And like, I would just ask them and have more conversations. And and that curiosity, I think really helped me a lot. Um, so I guess, what would I say to the younger me would be to stay curious um, and feed that curiosity. Always be asking questions, always be learning. you um, we were going
0: to. So it sounds a bit more like encouragement and less like advice.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's, I had a lot of people like, my gosh, I would go to conferences and people would, being young and female, um, you kind of stand out like a sore thumb oftentimes. You're a unicorn. <laughs> kind of. And, and so people would literally just come up to me and give me advice, whether I wanted it or not. And about, there was a lot that I just threw out, threw out of that. So I'm a little hesitant just to throw advice at the younger Hannah because she got so much of it. Um, and it was bad advice, but that, and I guess maybe, and this is again, where I'm at now just in life, but I love this idea of how do we approach our career and our profession, like an artist, instead of like, just that very linear, like, here's the next thing, here's the next thing, here's the next thing. And approaching it like an artist means that you pull in from a lot of various sources um, that's outside of the norm. So some of the best learning stuff I've had has not been in financial planning. It's been or like in the profession or, you know, in the normal streams. It's going completely outside where I literally am the only financial planner there. Um, some of those have been the neatest learning experiences.
0: All right. So what does success look like, like for you, the artistic planner? Oh, gosh, I
1: don't know. That. Well, I don't know. Um, it's it's really hard to project. Um, it's...
0: But you're a visionary. We're I doing a... <laughs> financial plans on the moon or Mars.
1: Thanks, thanks for calling me out there on that. Okay, I am a visionary um, for myself or the profession. So for my... Success for you. Success for me, I think... At the core, where I get satisfaction is making a meaningful difference in people's lives. And so whether that be through the podcast, like some of the most meaningful encounters that I've had this past year, where this kind this is like a almost like a side project for us where people are like seeking me out, having conversations, referring back to stuff that they've heard in the podcast, and it's like, oh my gosh, like helping people. And you
0: don't even have to be the smartest person in the room, right? You can Oh gosh, see that's the secret.
1: That's the secret. You're not supposed to tell people that.
0: (laughs) All right, I am gonna delete that part.
1: Um, but the idea that like, how can I have a meaningful difference? And if that's through one-on-one, like, like having these deep relationships with, with clients, like that brings me tremendous satisfaction, um, helping people from the profession, helping get this message of financial planning and like how to have this healthy relationship with money and, and just this larger message out to the general public, like, that meaningfulness is really what I tie to success. And I do want to say, like, part of that is because we've come to a place where, like, my practice is sustaining us. And and so, I mean, we're not at that startup phase. And I think that's, that that influences that answer.
0: Well, thanks for being with us here today.
1: Absolutely. Can I come back next week? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm pretty certain you're going to be here next week.
1: Um... Well, thank you for interviewing me uh, this week, Charlie. Hey it's my pleasure. We're uh, excited about this new year 2017 and being the visionary as we talked about, uh, we have a lot of really, really cool things that I'm I'm really excited about. like I, I get a lot of energy from that. Um, but with that there'll be a few changes to the show that I think
0: will be really neat. Like maybe some new music?
1: New music would be good, right? Well, Thanks for listening and we'll see you guys next week.